Hello and welcome to the Secure Chat Podcast, presented by Archon. This is a whole new security podcast geared towards you, our trusted clients. Each episode, our security experts will explore pressing security news, from the latest malware threat to user errors and top risk management solutions. Tune in each month to learn more about data breaches, what they mean for your business, and how you can optimize your security strategy. I want security. Hey everybody and welcome back for the third episode of the Secure Chat Podcast. My name's Corey and I'm joined by Sean today. Last week we talked about social media, um, how it can affect your work life, how, how it can affect you, and how it can affect your company. We went over ways to keep yourself safer, ways to find what information is out there, and what you can do to keep a good perception to the public. Uh, this week we're going to talk more about malware and the different types of malware, and also the different types of people that are installing malware into your environment. Before we jump into solutions, I want to first begin by giving you a brief overview of the who, what, and where we are all up against on a daily basis in the cyber world. Sean, you want to begin by giving us an overview on the who? Yeah, no problem, Corey. Uh, I think today in news and social media, there's always just this one group that's thrown around when any type of cybercrime occurs, and it's just the word hackers. And a lot of news sites or social media, they always plug in a picture of a silhouette of somebody sitting in front of a computer in a dark room with a black hoodie on. Um, It's just a very stereotypical image of a hacker. I think what we need to bring to light is that in the hacking community, there are actually a bunch of different categories that hackers are categorized as. Uh, And actually, the way that they're identified is by, by what color hat that they wear. And what I mean by that is there's a group called the white hat hackers. And what that means is that they're actively trying to defend against cyber criminals. So usually these are network security architects within the company, um, different contractors based on pen testing. And what their job is to essentially just set up perimeters on a company to keep them from being hacked. And by doing that, they actually need to try and hack their own company to find out what the vulnerabilities are, where they're vulnerable within a community um, on the cyber system and just overall try and defend against what's out there. The flip side of that are black hats. These are guys that are out there trying to actively hack, steal any type of information or financial information that could be available. Um, These are generally what the news and media outlets are talking about whenever there's a story posted. Like these are the actual criminals that are out there trying to actively steal information. There is something called a gray hat hacker which is essentially someone that works on both sides of that field. There are people that are knowledgeable within the dark side of hacking and they know the active effects of how to attack a company, how to take it down, how to get in there. But generally what they're doing is they stick towards the white side in which they only use this stuff to kind of defend. Um, There was actually a story recently about a gray hat hacker who hacked into about 10,000 home routers, Um, just various people, just their home information, And once he got in, he actually patched their systems as he disconnected his system. So it was just kind of a way for him to help other people in a sense that, you know, technically it was wrong that he broke into their systems, but he was doing it to try and help them from other people exploiting the information. And finally, the the last one I want to bring up is the green hat or also known as like a script kitty. Uh, These are usually low level users who are just getting their feet wet in the world of cybercrime. So they download a lot of scripts that people have already written and published online, um, any type of software, malware, ransomware, 
all those items are just available to be downloaded at any point um, just from various software download platforms. So these script keys, what they do is they download stuff that sounds cool and sounds intricate and they just let it loose on whoever they feel like attacking and they really have no intention of undoing what they did and half the time they don't even know how to undo what they did. And the danger in that is just it's it's someone who's walking around with a loaded weapon and has no idea what to do with it. And those are kind of like the the crimes that we've seen that have boosted in numbers because of how available a lot of these uh, ransomware packages are on the internet now. Yeah, thanks for going over the different hats because I think it's good for people to understand the different type of types of hats in the hacking community um, because white hats are something that we work with on a daily basis. Coming from an MSP, um, it's really good to have white hat hackers on your side because it gives us the ability to support our clients better. Um, they can come in, they can figure out what loose ends need to be tied up, inform us about the loose ends. That way we can keep an eye on them and make sure nothing's exploited. Now that we've touched on what exactly the goals are for certain types of hackers, Corey, do you want to go over what exactly some of these hackers are after? Yeah, so most commonly hackers are here for you know username and passwords, way to infiltrate the company. They want uh, banking records of the company or maybe even banking records that uh, you keep on your work computer that are just tied to you. But sometimes you won't even know that they're on your computer. Uh, but there are scenarios where hackers are just looking to gain information. So they can install something uh, deep into your computer that you won't even know that's there, that's just kind of collecting data that then they can use for personal use, whether it's about deals that, are, that a company is going to make or the direction of, a, of where a company is heading. Um, some of these hackers will just take that information and then they will use it for personal gain. I think the important part to bring up about that would be that um, – it could be used almost in an insider trading type of way where if hackers inside a computer and they're sort of just sitting, seeing all these emails pass back and forth, this information about um, a company acquiring another company, or if he starts seeing that, oh, this company's kind of on the downswing, there's some major indications. A lot of that can, that information can be sold off and, you know, to whether it's any shareholders, any people who use that company, um, it can all sort of come back and kind of be made into a story which then puts your company on blast in a sense of where you could be fined for not securing your systems, any any type of situations like that. And I think one of the most prominent stories in the last couple of years lately has been the Equifax data breach. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of information on that. There's a lot of stuff to search into for that. But um, the main, like, I guess, like, quick blurb on it is that in September 2017, it was found that over 147 million people had their data compromised by this data breach. So over a couple of years, there was a lot of different cases on that, who should be blamed for what, um, and it, it turned out where Equifax got hit with a pretty steep settlement. Um, I want to say that it includes where, like, people can claim that their data was affected and that that, that that caused them to have any type of issues and you can file for that claim online. Um, and it was actually turned out where that included up to $425 million that Equifax had to pay out to people who made the claim. Now, realistically, for your data being breached, point where someone can open up any bank account in your information, I don't think that's enough. But it just goes to show that like you can be slapped with a very heavy fine if your data is out there and compromised in a way that can be used for personal gain on the hacker side. 
Yeah, it's important to keep in mind that the company has a responsibility to not let this information get out. So even though that these are bad people and they seem to be in the wrong, the hackers uh, I'm referring to, companies are still the ones that have to pay the fines when this information gets out. Now that we've talked about the who and the what, we want to touch on the where. And the where isn't necessarily a location in this situation, but it's a different type of malware that can affect you. Um, this could be a low level just user impacting or it can be high level company impacting. Uh, to start, I want to talk about bloatware. And bloatware is just a program that gets installed on your computer that kind of slows it down. So a real world example of this would be the Adobe, uh, Adobe Reader free version. Uh, when you go to download it, um, McAfee security is automatically checked. So if you download Reader without unchecking that, then you will have the McAfee security downloaded onto your computer as well, uh, which could cause your computer to slow down. Uh, the next low level where I want to talk about is adware. And this is just when you're surfing the web, uh, when you could have a advertisement just pop up in your face that's an inconvenience, you know, you exit out of it and you keep on surfing. Um, but then there are higher level things like ransomware, spyware, trojans, rootkits, and worms. Sean, can you kind of touch on those higher level things? Most certainly. So I'd like to start off with, uh, we'll just talk about a worm real quick. Uh, so this is actually one of the most common types of malware, and it's used within a company setting mainly because the worm itself doesn't rely on human interaction to spread to different computers. And I think that's important from a black hat perspective in the sense that it doesn't need users to mess up and accidentally forward it um, or double click a file and save it somewhere. The worms actually crawl through the network and uh, they deliver a payload and they're going to be different. And that's going to be the same with the worm, virus, everything we touch on today. Every payload is different and specifically curated to whatever that hacker decided to put out there. And the payload itself is that's going to be what damages those host computers, whether it's stealing information, whether it's altering file names, um, deleting data, creating botnets. Um, that's the payload that's delivered through worm. A virus, the difference between a worm and a virus is that, like I said, the virus can spread, it can replicate itself, but it requires human interaction. So it requires someone to forward that email, to copy and paste that file into like a company shared file. Trojan horse is one of the most common that we see at the help desk level, just because it's a specific file that's sent to a user and it's disguised as a harmless file. So usually what we see is these are emailed in and it looks like a zip file or a PDF or a Word document. And all it takes is for the person to open the file and download it and open it. And what ends up happening is that causes a script run in the background. And again, that's the payload, whether it's stealing information, altering files, taking username, passwords, installing a rootkit. It's all used in the sense of like, it's just trying to mask itself as something that's completely harmless to get in and attack your system. Finally, I want to touch on rootkits. So the rootkit, this is dangerous in the sense that when it's installed, it actually be installed in a way that your general antivirus may not be able to find. So if you're using a free version of an antivirus or perhaps Windows Defender even, it may not scan to the depths of which it can identify a rootkit. So the, the danger behind that is that it can remotely execute files. So if a rootkit hits your computer, it allows someone to remotely access that computer. So whether it's then remoting in and controlling it themselves, whether they can just go through the files and look at different items, 
it's a very stealthy way for hackers and the hacker community to get access to a computer because they could sit there for weeks just sort of sifting through and looking at what's happening going in and out and they can start getting an idea of like when you're in the office when you're not so they know they have a six hour window of you're not going to be at your computer they then have free reign of the computer if they can access it one other topic i like to touch on is spyware and essentially that's just a different type of method in which that people are used to essentially spy on a user uh core do you have any real life examples of like a spyware that you've seen on the service desk level yeah, so a, a really common spyware example are key loggers. Um, so this is just something that's installed on your computer in a location that uh, you would never look into. You'd really never see this file there. Uh, but what it does is it tracks what you do on your keyboard on a daily basis. And it takes all of your keystrokes and puts it inside of this file. So then um, the hacker that is looking over your computer is able to go into this location later, open up the file, and they can see everything you typed that day. So Corey, do you think that with the keylogger, like what would you say is the most important information that is a, a hacker could pull from those logs? You know, for example, if they are if they've done this to a computer that's in finance, uh, they work with credit cards a lot or Excel sheets that they update with company information. Um, they'd be able to get a, a good inside look at the company to see the day to day operations, what money's flowing in, what money's flowing out, and just uh, how they're perceiving this information as well. Sean, you want to go into uh, ransomware and what that is? Sure. So with ransomware, that's been the buzzword of the last, I'd say, probably five years or so, uh, is that it's, it's out there. Everyone knows what it is. It's you know holding your computer ransom, trying to get people to pay money. I think what's important to touch on, though, is that ransomware itself uses the same methods that we were touching on earlier, whether it's a rootkit or a worm or a virus. It's all a specific file that's put into a computer system and an environment, and once it's executed, it's able to crawl through that network and keep encrypting drives or files, maybe local backups as well. Um, and we've seen it, it typically spreads just like any other computer virus. It's just that, the, I guess the payload on it is much more dangerous in the sense that it's completely encrypting all your information. Sometimes it has a ransom and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Corey, I know you want to bring up a couple topics on the ransomware. Yeah, so in 2018, Atla uh, the city of Atlanta was hit with ransomware. Um, it locked down their data, and the person was actually requesting $51,000 to get the data back. Um, and then again in 2019, uh, New Orleans had to declare a state of emergency because they had ransomware installed in their environment. Um, they went as far as unplugging all servers, shutting down servers, they were shutting down computers, unplugging it, and it got to the point where they were using pen and paper to try to combat what was going on. Um, one thing about ransomware is that even if you pay, uh, you're not necessarily going to get your data back. 30% uh, of the people that pay uh, ransomware still lose the data that they have. Um, so once you're in touch with ransomware, it can be a really risky game, and there's no guarantee that you're ever going to get um, any of your files back. It's a good point, Corey, because I think it sort of ties back to what we were talking about earlier with the script kitties, where they're downloading different types of ransomware and they're letting loose environments. People are paying, but these people may not actually know how to unencrypt what they just sent out because they're just letting it loose and it's going, and they really don't know what they set up in the wild. And it's unfortunate when it gets hit like that because even if you do kind of follow the, the hacker or the, the ransom procedure, you still may not actually get it back because the person on the other side of the screen has no idea what they're doing.
Yeah, no, you, you bring up a good example. And, and even uh, cl- the cloud is a uh, big word that everybody's knowing, that everybody is hearing. Um, everything's moving to the cloud. But if you use the same password uh, on your local PC or on servers as you do in the cloud, um, that data can also be compromised. And then you don't have a good backup sitting there. Um, so it's still important to keep all of your updated files offline in some way, shape, or form. Because the easiest way to combat ransomware is just have... Um, an offline uh, hard drive with all of the saved data. That way, if you do get hit with it, um, you can just lose all the information, plug in the offline information, and just upload it onto your computer and get back to work. Corey, you brought up a good point with the the data redundancy you're talking about with the offline backups. And I know there used to be tape backups. People had tape uh, that they backed up to, and it was rotating tapes. Uh, now it turned more so into having local backups, like an external hard drive plugged into a machine with nightly backups of that. I think bringing up another good point would be the cloud backups, like you said. Having a cloud backup, so that way you have two data locations, two data sets, it's redundant, so that way even if that local backup gets corrupted in the event of a breach, you still have an offshore cloud backup that you're able to restore data from. One thing I did want to touch on as well is with that the term the cloud. I think a lot of people are confused and they think that the cloud means that your data is just sort of floating in the air somewhere. Realistically, what it means is that it's just hosted on an offshore data center or a data center that's nowhere near where your location is and is transferred over the internet. So although your information is in the cloud, you're still relying on a data center to make sure that that information is secure and those systems are secure and intact and up to code. So now that we've covered the who, the what, and the where, we want to give you some information that can help you be more independent in these scenarios and help us isolate the issue. Um, If you ever notice that your computer is infected, the first thing you want to do is change your password. Um, That's going to be something that most malware catches, your username and password. So if you just change it, um, then that kind of gets the ball rolling before you even reach out to IT. Um, The second thing you can do is uh, Archon has a very good antivirus called Trend Micro. Um, It gives the user the ability to kick off a scan on their computer, and that's something that you can get running before you even reach out to your IT department. Um, Another good part about that is that if anything is infected on your computer, we're notified about it uh, by the antivirus versus having you reach out to us. As much as we love you reaching out to us and uh, getting the ball rolling as quickly as possible, Trend Micro gives us kind of an eye on any malware that could be on your computer. I think what's important with the the ticket that Trend Micro creates for us too that we see is we actually get an idea of what file was quarantined and we usually get an idea of like what it is. So right away, we're not relying on you to tell us what you clicked on or what you downloaded um, because a lot of times it happens so fast you're not entirely sure what happens. And to be honest, as IT people, like, we, we personally don't care what you do. It's just like we see what's going on. We want to make sure everyone's safe and everyone's good to go. So when we get that ticket from Trend Micro, we're able to see, oh, this is a Trojan horse file. It's located here. Let's make sure this is removed. It's quarantined. Change those passwords. Get everything up to speed. And that way the, we mitigate not only the time that the file was quarantined on your system, but also the downtime that you have as a user because we know that time is important to every single person within their environment. Like every job from a CEO all the way down to an intern. Like if you're not able to do your job, you're you're gonna be you know in the water, and you don't want people coming down on you, people breathing down your neck. So 
it's important for us to get stuff fixed as quickly as possible on our end and having a full antivirus system like a trend micro for us where it's integrated into our ticket system it just cuts down on the response time and like how we do our work uh entirely yeah you know and, and trend micro is great uh we're, we're able to see the exact location the file was installed on so we can go through search manually through the computer and delete anything that is malware related off the computer within seconds then it allows us to rescan the computer and if there are still uh, if there's still more malware on the computer, it will let us know, and we go back in and uh, delete that as well. Sean, from a service desk perspective, what would you like to see from an end user uh, before they even reach out to IT? So I think the the most important thing for me is I feel like if someone's able to be honest with me over the phone and sort of let me know like, hey, this is what's going on, or allow me to remote in their system and check stuff out. Uh, it helps us both ways, um, but if I'm able to like go into a system and the user has changed their password and they already started to scan, a lot of time that's the couple things that I was going to start anyway. So that cuts down a few minutes of me of what I have to do in the system. So while that scan is running, what I'm doing then is I'm checking to see were there any other programs that were installed recently on that day, and from there we just go to go to the control panel and see, hey, like you know, make sure there was no other software that seems odd that was installed that day. Uh, we'll go to event viewer, check some logs, and just try getting like eye of the sky on like what's going on from the system as a whole. And if someone's able to reset their password, get logged back in, start that scan, that is five to seven minutes that cuts down on our response time. And that's another five minutes that I'm able to spend checking through the system to make sure nothing got out into the wild. Yeah, and another thing that Archon has implemented lately that's been very useful in combating this is a program called Rapid7. Um, so we're able to see suspicious activity maybe before malware even gets put on the computer. So, you know, if, a, if an inactive user is trying to sign into a server, uh, we'll get an alert about that. Um, the alert doesn't say that he got into the server. It could just be someone trying to get into the server. But we get alert about that and we can remedy it before it even becomes a problem. Um, so there's um, active programs that we use that really help us get out ahead of this before it even um, is in your environment. Agreed. Uh, Rapid7 has been awesome. I know that uh, Ryan touched on that in the first episode and it's something we're planning on talking about a little further on later episodes. Uh, another, another great thing that we've seen is the single sign-on or the use of just the integrated passwords where that way if someone changes their password once on their computer, it also updates the password for their email for any other type of science they use within the company information. I think that's helpful because, you know, as, as we know now, there's logins for just about everything that we do on a computer now. So if you're able to change one password and that automatically updates it for the rest of your accounts, it saves a lot of time and hassle trying to go through, like, update all these passwords, making sure that you didn't miss one or you're not able to log in or do something. So having a single sign-on is important. Um, and if you don't have single sign-on, maybe a multi-factor authentication. So that way, if someone does use those accounts against you, you sort of get a, you know, if you get a text randomly that someone tried to sign in, like, you know that, hey, all right, well, we, we got to look at this and see what's going on there. Yeah, when it comes to malware, time is truly of the essence. Um, we have great programs in place that can, that can get malware out of your environment quickly. But the quicker you let us know, the quicker we're able to get rid of it and the less information is lost and work can just continue uh, as usual. Thank you all for joining us this month as we discussed the various wares that computers are vulnerable to. Uh, we also discussed antiviruses and how you can better protect yourself, the steps you can take to be more independent in situations like this. If you like some of the real-world examples uh, that we talked about this episode, we'll post links in the bio. 
uh, to these articles so you can learn more. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next month. Yeah.